G'day and welcome to Radio Notes. Our feature guest, Rachel Eckroth, currently on tour through Europe with Rufus Wainwright. We'll hear more about her very shortly. And also, we're going to hear from Laura Imbruglia. Her brand new album, Scared of You, was released a few days ago. And I'm going to share about 10 to 15 minutes of a chat I had with her back in June 2018. There is a feature chat with her coming up a little later. Not on this episode, but later on. I should also warn you that that very chat, after we hear from Rachel with Laura, features some trams, roadworks, as well as general Friday night loudness. I mention that because someone complained, and rightly so, there was a bit of traffic noise in the introduction last episode. So this episode, I've uh, fired up the new Roadcaster Pro in the lounge room, and that's what you're hearing this introduction this time round from. I should also mention before people go, ooh, he got a freebie. No, he didn't. Other podcasters across the world, including in uh, Germany, might have got a freebie, but yours truly paid hard-earned cash in cash and is still setting it up. Setting it up so much that I had an interview, the first one that I was going to do through this new setup in the quieter atmosphere, that got answered by the iPad in the dining room. That's right. I'm in the lounge room with a new setup because my home studio is too loud because of traffic. And my very special guest you should be hearing in the middle of April, and all good and well, we'll still be able to get that through to you, got answered in the dining room, and I had no idea. Ah, technology. Speaking about technology, it's time to go... In the box. Sony Music Australia has the brand new The Veronica's single just dropped called Thinking of Me, which features a reference to Head. Not since Lou Reed has such a song been on the wireless, but there's also a radio edit version that they've sent through. So if you want the actual version, then you won't be listening on the radio. You'll be downloading it on iTunes or one of those other platforms. They've sent through a radio edit version for which when Ash London asked uh, Lisa Veronica regarding this, she did squirm a little, the fact that there may be a radio edit, I guess, but didn't actually answer the question of whether or not there was. There is. From Island Records, Washington has a brand new tune out and Washington has never had a remix for any of her music claims the record label untrue there was a remix of the tune cement by Washington the reworking has been done by Japanese wallpaper of the tune claws the current single has been American spirit by Washington (sighs) Kathy Renner has a brand new tune out more locally to South Australia Adelaide South Australia Australia and it's called faithful a great, driving, jazzy, soulful number. I'll give you details on the episode page on the RadioNotesPodcast.com site. Kathy Renner's brand new one, you may know her from the band Vincent's Chair. Her solo album is going to be absolutely out of the park, and I hope to have a chat with her and share that with you when it's available. A very exciting feature chat this week, and let's catch up with it right now. Rachel Eckroth, a regular in Katie Tunstall's band, to now behind the keys and doing backing vocals with Rufus Wainwright on a worldwide tour. Being on the road has sparked an interest to look through the camera lens and focus as well on both collaborative and new solo material. On their latest album, When It Falls, they do their take of a Bowie number with the album produced by the bass player of Bowie's last record, Black Star. 
John joined Rachel backstage after performing her own music and then featuring in Rufus Wainwright Band when they were at the Adelaide Festival Theatre. We're backstage at the Adelaide Festival Theatre. What was the vibe this evening on stage at the Festival Theatre? It was great. It was fun to feel... So we're back on tour from a little bit of a long hiatus. So we, we were kind of feeling it out tonight. I think we were kind of like revving up and by the end of the night it was kind of full on, but... We were all kind of remembering our parts <laughs> tonight. Talk to us through the team. So Rufus is up the front. Paul Bryan is on bass. Jerry Leonard on guitar. Jevin Bruni is on keyboards now. And Matt Johnson is playing drums. Jerry and you have worked before? Jerry played a lot of guitar on my album that I put out a few months ago. And we, we did it remotely, so... In fact, um, Tim, my husband who produced it, he asked Jerry because he, he hadn't met him officially like in person, but knew, knew him through some uh, other producing stuff. So he asked Jerry to play on my record, and it was all done remotely. And I actually met Jerry in person before Tim did from this tour. So, Wow. Yeah. The album we speak <laughs> of is the uh, 2018 release, When It Falls... How are you feeling now that that release is out? I feel like it's kind of in that uh, mode where it's it's sitting there waiting to pop. <laughs> you know, we put it out and it you know it was it got a little bit of a splash right when it came out. But I think you know me and my PR team are sort of working on growing it this year and just kind of getting it into the ears of more people. There was a lot of attention at the time of the David Bowie cover, which is on the record. The particular song is not from his last album. So talk to us about the connection of David Bowie, Black Star, and the song that you decided to go with. Let me see if I can put this in order. Yeah. So my husband is a bass player, and he was he's in a band with Donnie McCaslin, which is the band that... David Bowie had asked to play on Black Star. So right about the time when we first started dating, that was all happening. They were in the studio and, you know, creating these great sounds for his record. And so when David passed, it was actually two days after my dad passed. So it was a really kind of strange weekend for us. And I had started kind of writing some of these songs for the record and it's, it's called When It Falls because the, the title track is about my dad passing and how, how am I going to put my life back together, you know, kind of for my whole family. We were listening to a lot of Bowie in the house, me and Tim. Mm-hmm. So that song, um, it's from The Next Day, which is the, the record previous to Black Star. And we just really liked it a lot. So mm-hmm. we decided to kind of check it out and, and do a cover of it. Did your father get a chance to meet Tim, communicate, talk music with? No, my dad, he, he got brain cancer and was, he had a surgery, you know, a, a few days after they found out. So once he had his surgery, he sort of became a different guy and it was really kind of hard to, to communicate everything with him. Mm. So, but fortunately, Tim was able to see him Christmas of that year and my dad, he wasn't talking much, but he still kind of had a sense of humor, and I think he was really happy to meet Tim. 
Were Christmases special before that Christmas? Always, yeah, yeah. They're still special. <laughs> yeah, but it was a it was a tough one, but yeah. So the album relates to him and mm-hmm. his life when it falls. Yeah. Is the when it falls directly related to his health? Or his passing? Or where does that sit? When it falls means when our lives fall apart, kind of. When it, the lyrics go, when it falls down, when it all falls down, will we know what to do with the pieces? Mm. So that was kind of the question. I wrote it before he passed away because I was, you know, it was inevitable at that time. What was his feeling and input towards your music, and particularly your music career? your original material? So my dad was my biggest fan. He was the guy that took me around when I was 16 to jazz clubs in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, because I couldn't get in. I was too young. So he would take me around. And he was actually a keyboardist, too, and a band director and a musician. I think he was like the proud dad and took me around because the bands around town would let me sit in with them. And it was just, it was kind of my, my growth as a, as a beginner kind of gigging musician. He was also very critical and he was a perfectionist and you know so how did you take that criticism from him? Uh, it, it, I took it different ways in different periods of my life. So probably as a teenager it was I didn't want to hear it because I knew more than he did, you know. <laughs> but um just in my head, but um when I started writing lyrics, they weren't that good. <laughs> and so I played, a, I remember playing my first like couple of songs for my dad and he just got up and walked away. <laughs> so I was kind of hurt by that. But, you know, I think it was just kind of his way of saying, keep going, keep trying, do better. What's one of the most memorable experiences at these jazz clubs with him? I used to go see this singer named Dennis Rowland in Phoenix. He used to sing with the Count Basie band, I think in the 80s. He was sort of my mentor in Phoenix. So my dad took me out. And there's this one particular time where I won an award in Phoenix for being a good improviser in high school. And so I think he was just proud to watch me start. I sat in and played Take the A Train. <laughs> to a member of Count Basie's Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bold. I, yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't know any better. <laughs> Is there anything else that before we do move on that we need to know about your dad in terms of this record, in terms of how he influenced you? My dad worked so hard in his life to keep our family afloat. And now that he's gone, he's made it so that my mom is taken care of. You know, he was he was good that way. And uh, I think I take from it, just work as hard as you can. I never stop working hard. And I think of him all the time. I'm trying just to try to get better and try to... But the other on the other side of it, he was a workaholic. And so I always have to remember to take a break <laughs> as well. The obvious question has been asked of your husband and yourself both being touring musicians. It's a job. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. Do you feel there's a stronger connection because you're doing the same kind of field, even though you're apart a lot? I think so. I think we have a special connection. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's stronger than it would be with any other kind of profession, but, but it's special because 
we hear a lot of things kind of in the same world, um, in the same way. So we both like to experiment with sound, and it's we get a kick out of it, like together just making crazy noise in the house. And, you know, I don't think there's many couples that sit around doing that for fun. <laughs> Extension of that is the production of the record. Was there some fun moments in that by the two? Yeah, actually, before I met Tim, I was only kind of like meddling with pedals. And Tim really taught me how to use them in a, in a better way, I think. More than the obvious, you know, like if you have a delay pedal, you know, there's an obvious way to use a delay pedal. You just have them, have the notes repeat. But he showed me other ways to just get really inside them and use them in ways that aren't common. Are you feeling more comfortable on the guitar? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm excited that I, I took the time to learn how to play. It's changed my writing a little bit. Talk to us about that. Writing songs. Obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but I'm obviously not a a, a guitarist. (laughs) I'm a person that plays chords. But um, I think having limits on the guitar kind of helps me slow down with the chord writing and find notes that aren't easy to find on a piano. Like, I can do whatever on a piano and figure out chords and play melodies really quickly, but I can't do it on guitar, so I'll just find a couple notes that sound nice together and see what I come up with. Your setup tonight during a solo set was highly impressive. I've seen a lot of that magic being done on stage before, but it was like threefold. What's been some of the steps towards getting to that? Has it been releasing the album? Has it been being on the road? The way I came up with that setup is out of necessity, kind of. I had to break my record down and find a way to perform those songs by not, you know, not just having a piano and playing the chords. I did one song, like, just straight piano with voice. So what I did, I found the the Roland SP-404. Actually, Roland suggested it. The company suggested it for me. And it's really pretty versatile. It's like a sampler. It also has some drums on it that you can create beats and stuff and has effects. And So I used that. I took actual samples from the record, like sounds. Not really any beats or anything, but just some of the, some of the drone sounds that are on the record. And I trigger them during the song. Does that help you perform it as well, getting a sense of the record, remembering being in the studio to the actual performing it? Not as much as you would think, because kind of every time I perform these songs, they're different every night. I've switched the forms around, and I might um, change the chords, change the bass notes. So, and then so I use a little, the chord monologue for the bass stuff. Then I get the pedals going on the Nord, and I've got the TC Helicon voice processor, so that's really fun. So I get to sing a bunch of harmonies with myself and it fills up the space a lot. A couple of weeks ago you released a brand new single, it's called I'll Try, featuring Althea Grace. It was mixed by Pete Min, better known as Lucy's Meat Market. That's his uh, Instagram name. Alright, we'll get back to that maybe later. What else do we need to know about this song, I'll Try? I started writing with people this year, I made it a point to 
to call people and get them to my house and just start co-writing a lot of songs. How do you find that? Do you find it easy to pick up the phone and ask? Easier than ever, yes. You know, it's easier to just call up somebody and be like, hey, you want to write a song? Yeah, yeah. Because you can't lose, you know. You, you, you write something, you're both co-writers. Maybe if it gets placed somewhere, maybe you record it. You know, you're going to get something out of it. So people, I think people that like to write like to do that. And Grace is on board for this one. Yes, so Althea Grace is a young singer-songwriter, guitarist, kind of in the folk realm. She was opening for Los Lobos and, and Doyle Bramhall. So she came over, she just moved to L.A. I met her on the road when Tim was with Tedeschi Trucks Band. She came over, we wrote a song, and then I was like, you know what, let's do this as a duet. And so we recorded it. I had Tim play bass. I played some electric guitar. Althea mm -hmm. played acoustic guitar. My friend Brian Griffin, who I perform with a lot, he played drums in his studio and sent them over. And that was it. That's the first track I've done with no keyboards, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, did find that there was an instrument missing in that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and obviously when you listen to it as well, you're like, hang on, isn't Rachel's main instrument something more black and white? I can't make you an honest man, but I'll try. Is this the woe of the 27-something-year-old uh, trying to find <laughs> a perfect partner? I think so. I think it's any age woman. <laughs> it, you know, I kind of was creating a story in my head, and, and the feel of the song is sort of this, like, cowboy noir is what I like to call it. So I have this vision of, in my head of a woman in a house in the desert, who, you know, has a cowboy husband or man or whatever, and he keeps leaving because he's always leaving. He has to leave, so she's there alone. It's kind of like the basis of the story. Lucy's meat marketers mention is the handle of the guy who's mixed at mm -hmm. Pete Min, but you've become a vegan. So every time you see his Insta handle, you must be offended by that. Oh, just Because so vegans good. are so... How's oh it God. going being Listen, a vegan? I went vegan for health reasons. I love a steak, I'm telling you. We, I, I'll eat steak all day, but, but I had to change it up. So, And it's actually really great. I feel so light and clear-headed, and the problems I was having aren't happening. So I'm hoping this is the way for now. Has there been some challenges in turning vegan? Yeah, actually being on the road, it's, it's a little tricky. So I was saying uh, today I had to go buy some protein powder, pea protein. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just stuff like that. It's like you can't find, you know, I was eating coconut shavings all day and nuts. You know, it just, it just sounds like what a bunny eats, but I, I got to figure it out. I gotta Steaks find, are good. Find the vegetables. Steaks are good. <laughs> Steak is delicious. Can I ask you about did download fell from you? This is a co-write with Michael Stegner. Michael Stegner is a producer, kind of keyboardist, you know, an engineer in his home studio. He does that a lot. He finds artists and, and kind of produces them. And so we did that song. He did all of, all of the uh, music around it. We sort of collaborated on the music, but he ended up producing it all around it. I brought in a, a Moog D-Fam, which is like their drum machine. And we just created some stuff in there, and he wrote most of the story, most of the lyrics. Because that's out there as well, that's sort of fallen between the record and, and this new single, I'll Try. It's more of a joint thing, so I don't really call it my song, but, but we just did it. We just wrote another one the other day too, so that should be coming out soon. <laughs> Are you enjoying doing those? Yeah, a lot. It's actually quick. It's quicker. 
Yeah, I did one with a girl named Laura Jean Anderson, who's great. She's a wonderful singer and a great musician. There's a song kind of cooking somewhere with her. And I have some other plans for, you know, for um, the future, soon future. I am definitely enjoying writing songs that are not so personal. You know, I'll save those for my records, my own you know, projects, but you know, I'm enjoying kind of like sharing this story and sharing the ideas. Are you close to a follow-up to When It Falls? I don't really have that written yet. Um, I want to. So I produced I'll Try. So that was kind of like my production baby. I guess. Um, I'm thinking the next record I'll do that. I'll produce the whole thing in my home for the most part. See if I can do it. I'm going to go a little <laughs> left of field just yeah. so we can cover some things in life away from sure. the music. Just pondering on doing the insta-stalking of your husband as one does during the interval. Does Spike relate to Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Spike? Yes, he said this evening, uh, he claims he's starting to look like Spike. <laughs> Spike is his dad. Oh. <laughs> he's starting to look like him a little bit. <laughs> I'm glad I asked, though. Because I was thinking Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Spike was in that. Well, Tim, I don't think Tim has ever seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Spike is a piano player. He was a piano player, too. Can you talk to us about this touring experience? We'll briefly get back to Rufus because this is who you're on the road with for the next couple of... Oh, they're not so too loud. Lee might be listening. Um, <laughs> you're on the road with him for the next couple of months, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep. We finish up the Poses tour in May in Canada. What are you looking forward to, Rachel, in this tour? I'm looking forward to kind of perfecting the solo set. Is every night, like I said, it's it's kind of changes every night. And you're getting it every night as well, the solo set. Uh-huh. Yeah, almost every show. Yeah. And so I'm just I'm just trying to find the perfect balance of song choices with with the audience. Maybe I'll write a few along the way and pop in some more like upbeat things. So that that may, meeting more people, meeting audience members, and hopefully gaining some fans. Selling some records, you know. <laughs> Traveling, I love. I love going to different cities. So. How's this tour? And it's only just started. I know different to other tours that you've done. So far, I'm super enjoying this, and I think it's because I get to do my own thing. I've never got to jump on someone else's tour with my music, so that's probably the biggest plus for me. And I like the songs. I love the music. It's fun to watch Rufus. He's hilarious on stage. He's a great singer. He like nails it every night. And he's fun to sing with. I get to sing those backgrounds. It's it's a lot of his sister Martha's stuff on the record, so I get to kind of do my Martha impression. That's that's a huge honor. You know it is, don't I you? I love her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. How much research did you do before this tour to that very fact? that you'd be doing the BVs of Martha? watched a ton of YouTube to see, you know, all the different ways these songs were performed. And I bought a couple Martha records, and, I mean, that's about it. I just kind of practiced the feel of her voice. But, I, I mean, I'm not trying to copy her, but I'm trying to get the same feeling with Rufus. 
as best I can. When I ask how is the home life, what I'm asking is about as much as you want to share the dynamics of being two musicians getting a life together and getting things happening. Well, we we just got married in November, so we've spent our first three-ish months ever together, like part of November, December, January, part of February. Mm-hmm. Like we were basically together the whole time. I think that's the longest we've ever been together because we're always on different tours, meeting in other cities and, you know, staying in hotels and, you know, all kinds of like here for two days. Okay, see you in two weeks, you know. So that's been a learning process, just like trying to get used to each other in one space. The good thing is we get along, (laughs) get along, we like each other, we share music, you know, we we share... um, kind of like ideas with each other on how to further our own careers and then the things that we do together and you know and we also like to go to the beach and eat steaks when I'm not a vegan and yeah we have a good time and outside of that what do you like doing oh wow that's a hard question because I'm a workaholic (laughs) I started learning photography so I'm working on that. I'm very, Talk to me about very that. amateur. Well, I bought a camera about three years ago, and it took me a little while to like actually understand what was happening. So, what do you want from your photography? I want to learn how to take portraits of people. So I'm I'm doing it as an experiment on myself, just to get to learn lighting and to learn. Um, so they are self portraits. They are mostly. I mean, there's there's some from photographers in my yeah, sure, sure. stuff, but I'm working on lighting. I'm, you know, it's it's kind of hard, but especially when we have like limited resources because I don't have a ton of stuff that I'm working with. When you were talking about music, you said the limitations was actually a good thing. It's a little different because between piano and guitar, I know music. I've never studied. Lighting. I've never mm-hmm. studied any photography or anything like that, so it's all kind of like, it's all in one. So my limitations with that is like, I don't have this kind of light when I watch this video that tells me, oh, get one of these, you know, or you need this kind of background, it'll be great. I just have to like, use what I have. So I figured as as I go along, I could pick the pieces and get get it together. But I know it's not really about all the stuff you have. It's more about just getting the correct lighting and mm. taking a good shot. So. But it's also about the eye as well. Mm-hmm. So as much as music's about the ear, photography's about the eye. Mm-hmm. During these next couple of months, I'm going to give you some great inspirations to take off the hip photography and those kind of things. Totally. And I brought my camera. So I can spend a little extra time on my days off when you're on the planes looking at the clouds now that you're a photographer (laughs) do you see the clouds differently I'll be honest I close the window because I want to (laughs) sleep but I know what you mean Um, actually I've been I've been seeing things differently I've been seeing shadows and lighting and all of that kind of stuff because I'm just more in tune to it now that I've Mm -hmm. Been trying photos. 
are you setting yourself an assignment as part of this photography learning? Is there a particular outcome you want after X period of time? Um, no, I mean, there's little things I want to try. Like, I see photos and I wonder how, how do they do that, so I have to do a little research and figure it out. I really enjoy it, and I have this, you know, weird dream in my head that, you know, if I have to quit music someday, I'll be able to be a photographer and do that. So I'm going to get good. Where's that inspiration come from? Just art all around me. I've always liked visual art. I've worked with a few photographers that have shot me that I am always in awe of their photos. Sherbin Lanez that took some of the photos recently of me. Beautiful career, taking pictures of musicians. It's inspiring. He took a picture of Rufus, some photos with Rufus, and my, my other old boss, Katie Tunstall. And oh, we haven't spoken about Katie, have yeah. we? Yeah. Let, let's talk about Katie. <laughs> so before Rufus, you were touring with uh, Katie Tunstall. Rachel, who is Katie to you? <laughs> she is a total rock star. She kind of got me hooked on shiny things. When we were on tour, she was always wearing, you know, shiny, shiny pants, silver pants or whatever. So she, that was kind of like part of the look of the band. So she's a great songwriter, a really great rhythmic guitarist. She's Scottish, so she has this other sense of humor that, you know, I had to like kind of learn to understand. But she's just a sweet person. What did you learn from her apart from a different sense of humor? Um, watching her on the stage was really great because she is super entertaining so she knew, she knew how to talk to the crowd, she knew how to get people excited. I like to sit back in my keyboard chair and see how they do it and try to pick those things up. I have not perfected that. But, but you're in that prime position as you said in the back to see the audience as a reaction so mm-hmm. really from, from an education point of view such a great spot to be in. Definitely. I want to get back to photography. Black and white or colour? Both. Both. Subject matter? I like people kind of in their daily life action. I just, I kind of want to just take pictures of people. I don't know if I would be much of a nature photographer or not, but like to, I want to get close up and personal. What do you find interesting about people? I think that people can look beautiful even if they're like typically not beautiful people. You can find ways to you know find their beauty in a photo. Are you a people watcher though? Particularly when it comes to songwriting? A people watcher? Yeah, when it comes to some writing particularly. Not, probably not as much as more like introspective when I'm writing. So does that mean you need to experience yourself or can the narrative be told from someone else that you can then empathise and then write the song? I'm working on that. I'll try as kind of that. Yeah, I'm working on um, trying to branch out and tell stories from different perspectives. Where 
does the song I'm talking about your music now not the collaborative so this is purely I guess it's tunes that may appear on this fourth album of yours where's the songwriting space for you one's been written is it in is it in the shower is it at the dinner table is it at a writing desk it's all different mm. I've written songs in the shower gosh it's so many different things like I'll dream a lyric or I'll dream a scene or I'll dream a chord lately I've just been kind of hashing out songs at the piano just to get it done quicker I spend my time like in the house kind of like doing housework and at the same time thinking of lyrics so I could be doing anything and writing a song that old chestnut of lyric music which comes first pounding out the keyboard would suggest both at the same time but is there one in front of the other? I do it either way mm-hmm. but I find that Getting the music figured out first is better for the song, I think. Yeah. So talk us through this, this tinkering. And you've got some wonderful gear, but what are you doing when you're tinkering? Well, lately we've acquired a bunch of new synths. So we have a bunch of new analog synths, and a lot of them kind of can be hooked together or basically patched together. So one triggers the other to do a thing. So you can get this whole chain of of synths going. Kind of what we do, Tim and I, is just experiment with sound and and beats. And it's really just about turning knobs and seeing what sounds good. Are you over jazz? No, I'm not over it. I just am out of it right now. Like, I didn't put my life into it at one point. It just sort of... I went another direction. I'm still, I still, like, I just wrote a big band chart. Like, I wrote a big band um, arrangement for my friend that teaches at Berkeley. So, I still am in it, sort of, but I'm just not playing. I'm not out playing. Maybe someday, again. I'm pondering what would draw you back to jazz. Um... I think time, because I, I need to be a songwriter mm. and a singer. If I had more time, I would do it still. I mean, I, I dabble. <laughs> it's not ever going to go away, but it's just not the main focus. Things changed. <laughs> What's your favorite thing to cook? I love baking cookies and cakes and pie and all that stuff, but I don't do it. <laughs> Watching people bake cookies, or what's your level of enjoyment then with it? I just think it's um, just the creation of something delicious. Back in the day, I would make you know a batch of cookies, but not eat them. Give, just give them away because I enjoy so it so much. <laughs> what's your favorite song on on the record when it falls? It changes all the time. Um, I think Walls, the first track, is like, to me, the most solid song on there. Right out, yeah. Thank you. As a, um, it's, it's sonically weird and different, but it's also like a pretty contemporary sounding chord structure. And the form of it is, is very now, I think. But then 
Also, the uh, Love is Lost is like, that's my favorite groove on the record. That's like the kind of like hardest, like rocking groove in my opinion. Starting to do photography now, so your approach for the visuals for this record, how do you sit with, with music clips for, for your own music? I have sort of a, a vision board happening with, um, with the colors that I want to use for the upcoming year of my whole project, the whole Rachel Eckroth thing. This next record, I'm calling it the fourth solo album, you really have put your heart into it. It's just the fact of getting it out there. Well, the vision ne- board colors. Well, I have to write the songs too. <laughs> That's coming. That'll come last. I really just have to get the look right. Can you talk to us about this process of vision boards and colors, though? How does that fit in? I just sort of pick what's uh, attractive to me right now, and like the images. So I'm kind of going for a more um, minimalistic look coming up. Certain hues that I've picked out, and strange. Images. What's your favorite color at the moment? Today. Pink. Like your pants. Pink. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even skip it's a beat. Pink, you were right pink. there. There's a lot of pinks in my life. <laughs> Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Was there anything else you'd like to discuss with us? Well, I would like to discuss where did you get that shirt because it's really cool. It's from London. How are you feeling about the future? I feel good. I feel like it's going to be a lot of hard work. I like it. Do you have a pet in your life? No. You're not a dog, cat kind of person? We want to get a Bernese Mountain Dog. Do you So bad. They're so huge and cute, but uh, we're never home, so (laughs) we can't do it. Do you mind talking about tattoos? Sure. Because I'm wearing roses. Oh, yeah. I have the you rose have... on my shoulder. I got these two in London. Got them when I was on tour with Katie Tunstall. We spent a ton of time in London, kind of just waiting for the gig. So one, one is a rocket and one is a heart. And I did research the uh, place that I got this. Mm. Because it was my first in a really long time. I have a little one on my ankle that I got oh, okay. when I was 18. It's a little symbol for patience. Okay. It's kind of worn off. All My right. patience has worn off. And so I have this kind of geometric heart and I have a little rocket. This was The rocket was a, uh, you know, kind of just off-the-cuff tattoo. Which... A drunken one? No, not no. drunk, just bored. <laughs> been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Rachel Eckroth, currently on tour with Rufus Wainwright. Their current album is called When It Falls – Online, they can be found at racheleckroth.com. Thanks very much for listening to Radio Notes. It's good to have you on board for this episode. We're going to hear from Laura Imbruglia now. This is a chat that I had with her back in June of 2018 outside a very busy Melbourne location on a Friday night where she was just about to DJ that night. You will hear trams, you will hear traffic. I'm only playing you about 10 to 15 minutes of this chat, but it's in honour that only a few days ago the album that we're talking about, Scared of You, was released. It's available on vinyl, as digital as well, as well as streaming. Let me take you to that chat from June 2018 now. What is the kernel of the new album from Laura Imbruglia? What's the main theme that's coming through on this this new record? 
I think this one, there's a lot of like restlessness. It covers discomfort in various forms. It's going to be called Scared of You. There's a lot of themes covered throughout the album, but that can be applied, that Scared of You theme can be applied to various different things in the context of the songs. You mentioned the word discomfort. Is that an age thing, a time of your life thing, or is there some more external, internal factors to that? I reckon it's a bit of both. It's it's definitely an age thing. I'm 35, I'm getting to the age where I'm wondering, should I be having kids? Should I have set up a career a bit earlier and not spent so much time and energy and money on music and uh, creative pursuits? Yeah, so there's a bit of that. When did music enter the life of Laura? Music, uh, oh, since I can remember, earliest memories, driving around, listening to the Carpenters with my family, watching the musical Annie, backyard kind of concerts with my sisters, singing Whitney Houston songs, stuff like that. Did you get a sense at a very young age that music would be a pursuit or was it just a recreation? I think I always wanted to entertain. So whether it was music or comedy or some kind of performing where you get a response, an immediate response. Where was the point that you decided that music would be the thing? When I finished high school, I moved to Sydney and I got an acting agent because I had done really well at acting in high school and I had done really average in music. So they were my two electives. I was just playing guitar and writing songs for fun, but I truly thought that I had a career as an actor or a comedian and that was what was in my future. I got an acting agent and they were just sending me to like orange juice commercials and, well, I thought at the time that I can't, I need an audience, I can't actually act for a camera because you don't get a response and you don't know, you have no sense of whether you're doing a good, job or it's hitting the mark and at the same time I did play my first gigs and got a really great response and started getting more gigs got a manager and everything just was a lot easier on the musical front so I just dropped acting at that point and focused on music first gig was in Newcastle older sister Carla her friend's brother set it up and it was in like an old RSL club or something I played with this guy called Ryan Jordan and he played a bunch of, he played a few of his own songs which were really good and he also did a Smiths cover and a Johnny Cash cover and for some reason that night is really just sticks in my memory really clearly. I'm still in touch with that guy that I played my first gig with and I ended up getting into the Smiths. I had these weird things happening where like I had heard the week before the Smiths song There Is A Light and It Never Goes Out. They didn't back announce it, they just played it. And I was like, what is this song? These lyrics are amazing. And then the week later I played my first gig and Ryan covered that song. It just felt like all these weird, fateful, magical uh, music things were happening for me. Was becoming aware of lyrics when I hadn't previously thought too much about them. I was getting into Darren Hanlon and Candle Records bands at the same time, Mm -hmm. becoming a real student of songwriting and lyrics at that time and my booking agent I would harass him every week and be like please get me on gigs supporting bands from Candle. Mm. 
which included the Lucksmiths. Yeah, Lucksmiths, Jody Phyllis, yep. the Mabels. Before you were a songwriter, what was your life like? What were you doing at the time? Was it a supermarket job? Where, where were you at? <laughs> oh, well, I started writing songs in high school when I was about 14 or 15. Like as soon as I learned how to play guitar, I wrote a song the same day just with one chord, uh, moving it around. I was working at Woolworths in the variety section, which is the non-perishables, topping up the batteries and pool salt and stuff like that. It was pretty annoying. That was my first job. And then I worked at HMV, which is the coolest job you could get. It was pretty much unheard of for a teenager to work in HMV, so I thought I was really cool. Working in a record store is a really cool job, and that's what I did as well. When I moved to Sydney, I got another job in a record store. What was your first record? first record first one that I bought it was probably like Richard Marks or Rick Price Richard Marks I think or Julian Lennon like I was really into power ballads like men singing ballads like love songs so have you broken down why that was do you know what it was doing to you <laughs> don't know I don't think there were other young girls listening to that much AOR I think I just liked singing along I just liked their voices and those kind of songs usually have really good middle eights and key changes. And salt water, just general stuff like that, really. Yeah. Just oh, salt water. It was a, just a tearjerker, wasn't it? What's your take on the Beatles? Beatles, Rolling Stone, where does it sit? Oh, well, I like playing this game with people called The Good Son. You know the, the movie The Good Son starring Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin? And the last scene of the movie, they're both hanging over the edge of the cliff after a Uh, a bit of a fight and Macaulay's like an evil child throughout the whole film the mum has a boy's hands like one kid on each hand and she's got to let go of one to save the other and so that's a game I like to play she drops Macaulay because he's I like to play that game with bands like that like that you have to pick a side on Rolling Stones or the Beatles you can only you gotta let go of one you need both hands to save the other once you drop you can only ever hear their songs in your head you can never hear them again. And I would choose the Beatles. And I think they had a lot less misogynistic lyrics than the Rolling Stones. But I like to play that game. Smiths or The Cure, Bruce Springsteen or... Ooh, Smiths um, or The Cure? Yeah, I dropped The Cure. Yeah. But also because Robert cheese. Smith um, dissed oh. Queen once. Which album got you through your teens? Uh, Nirvana. I was a really big Nirvana fan. So probably in utero. But I was obsessed. I bought. I would go into bookshops and like try and find books that had photos that I hadn't seen before and buy them purely on that. It's just terrible books, like just junk. But if there was a photo I hadn't seen before, then I would buy it. I want to talk about some issues regarding life that we might find in this new record. Where do you write the songs? I the write songs? them in my bedroom. Although this album, I spent three weeks in a songwriting re- residency in Bundanon near Nowra, New South Wales. I applied to remove myself from Melbourne so that I could just get it done because it, it normally takes me six months to write an album when I have a part-time job. The last two jobs I've had have been three-day-a-week jobs and then I would spend two days a week over six months writing an album. And that's the same way I made Amateur Hour when I was making my web series. Just like clock on for those two days to your creative task, clock off, go do your other job and really compartmentalise your life. But I now have a full-time job and I needed to, and a relationship and no time to do 
solid writing. So I just decided if I took three weeks away from the job and away from my life, then I would get it done. But Mm -hmm. as it turned out, I got half the album done there and then I spent three months in Melbourne finishing it. The editing process of the songwriting, is it heavy? Is it soft? Or do you just roll with whatever's written? Uh, No, I do a lot of editing. Some songs just write themselves and don't need editing, but more often than not, the process I did with this one, because I knew I only had three weeks to write, I would start writing, pursue an idea for a while. If I liked it, I'd try and get to the point where I had a verse and a chorus. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be like, cool, I'll come back to that. That's the beginnings of a good song. And then I'd move on to the next idea, verse and the chorus. Cool, happy with that. If I got stuck on something... I'd either abandon it or just keep coming back to it over the course of the week. Once I got back to Melbourne and I needed to finish them off, then it's just a longer process of like, what am I trying to say in these lyrics? Sometimes I'm, tr- I'm saying several things and, and I need to like write it out and look at it and see if it makes sense to someone that doesn't know all the things that have gone into, see if there's some kind of narrative in there that you can follow. I try to anyway. You are actually the brainchild of the Amateur Hour. For those international or maybe even Australia who didn't get a chance to see it and they can see it online, can you give us that synopsis and idea so we can have a chat regarding what the Amateur Hour was about and is about and why the passion and focus for? It's a web series that's a variety show without an audience, like without a live audience. Each episode goes for half an hour and it's bookended by live music. Usually there's an emerging band, lesser known, and a more established artist as well to give, you know, expose each person in different ways, give them a chance to make some content that they could use to promote their band or whatever. And then there's comedy skits. I'd always wanted to do comedy and, yeah, dropped it when I started playing music and I thought it would be a good opportunity to make comedy again. I feel like Australia doesn't have any good comedy, like besides our stand-up comedians we've got a few good ones I really like Zoe Coombs-Ma and I really like Hannah Gadsby but we don't have any good like skit shows like that existed in the 90s and we don't have anything like Broad City or just cool comedy that you know Curb Your Enthusiasm Arrested Development there's so many good shows in America I just wanted to make some good comedy you also had a pretty good team behind you as well. One of them, Laura Jean, who's just released an album called Devotion as well, which is on high rotation in many circles. What's the sense of community? I didn't have a budget to make the show and I'd never made TV show before. So I just did a call out, post on my personal Facebook, hey everyone, I'm thinking about making a TV show over the Christmas break. I think I want it to be kind of like a cross between Wayne's World and Recovery um, and Saturday Night Live. Does anyone want to help me? I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm definitely going to do something. And a whole bunch of people put their hands up and ranging from people that like are publicists or this. And then I put it on my music page too. And a girl put her hand up who was studying film. She wanted to do the boom. I hadn't even considered that I would need a boom mic. Pitched to a a friend's friend to, to film it. He came on board. It just grew from there. We did a big launch. Everyone donated their time. There were about 50 volunteers into that went into the making of it and all the venues that we filmed in, because there was a different venue for each episode, they just let us in for free to film. 
And then season two, we raised $50,000. So we went from zero to 50K budget. Uh, and that was through government grants and crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Generous people donate money. So you can still have a look at it as well. Yeah, amateurhour.tv. Lauren Brillia, thank you very much for joining Radio Notes. Thanks for having me. Just a few minutes of a conversation I had with Laura Imbrilia outside a venue that she was later DJing that night back in June 2018. There is more of that conversation to share with you, some more in-depth stuff, including cooking and her sister Natalie as well. And we'll also be chatting more about the album. It's called Scared of You. I just wanted to give you a little bit now from that chat, as I've just done, as it was released just a few days ago. Thanks very much for listening to Radio Notes. Great to have you on board. A quick reminder, if you haven't already, you can subscribe and follow on your favourite podcast app. If you also wish to send in any correspondence, you can do that via the website as well. Coming up on our next time together, the next episode, it is due to be this guy. I know I can do jokes that are worthy of The Tonight Show, biggest late night talk show in the history of television i can do that and i've proven to do that and i know i can reach an australian audience because i've written for sean mccullough so i know how to write for an australian audience Mm. too i know how to come up with hit shows i wrote for a show magic for humans on netflix and that was number one last year now it sounds like he's talking himself up a lot but in fact he does have a lot to be proud of it's mr simon taylor will be our special guest who also says very emotional boy so i i, I actually withdraw into their work so i will put mac miller's album on and just not do anything that day like i might go to the gym but i'll be listening to mac miller on the way there do my work and listen on the way back and just sort of sit and listen. So I I will stop what I'm doing to listen. And in our conversation, he'll exclusively be talking about a new project that Channel 10 might have on the cards. Find out more next time you join us here at Radio Notes. And he'll also be talking about his children's book. That's Mr. Simon Taylor next time on Radio Notes. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Murch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.